Wedge Issues is brought to you by Wispolitics.com, a place where political insiders go for news, opinion, and campaign information. Once again, that's Wispolitics.com. Scott Walker is trying to do something that only one Wisconsin governor has done before, win re-election for a third term. And to do so, he's running what he says may be the most challenging race of his political career. I'm Jesse Opoyan, and this is Wedge Issues, a Cap Times podcast about the 2018 elections in Wisconsin. On a late September Sunday, I spent a cool and cloudy morning in the tailgate lots at Lambeau Field, where the Green Bay Packers were about to soundly defeat the Buffalo Bills. I followed Governor Walker as he made his way through the lots, meeting with voters, stopping to take photos, all amid the smell of brats grilling and beer cans being cracked open. Just before kickoff, the governor and I stepped away and had a conversation about his campaign, his first two terms in office, what he hopes to accomplish in a third term, and why he says it would be his last. We talked about his somewhat controversial favorite Wisconsin beer, his favorite Star Wars movie, and you better believe we talked about the ham sandwiches he's eaten for lunch nearly every single day for the last 25 years. Stay tuned for that conversation in just a few minutes, but first we'll take a look at what happened in the news this week. We are less than a month from Election Day, and back with me in the studio this week to talk about the news of the week is Eric Lawrenson. Hello, hello. Glad to be here as always. Glad to have you here. Yeah. So you got an interview with Governor Scott Walker, which you're going to get to so quickly. I think the idea here is we're just going to do a very quick rundown of the the news of the week. And we're going to focus just on two things. We're just going to focus on the Marquette poll and the the Senate debate that happened. Let's start with Marquette. There, this was a poll that came out on Wednesday, one of uh, two polls that Marquette University Law School is planning to release, I think, before the end of <laughs> before the, the end. end times, <laughs> before Election Day. <laughs> so uh, give me a rundown of the, the major takeaways here in terms of uh, – let's start with horse race stuff, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um... So, you know, the the interesting thing, I guess, to compare from poll to poll, which we've talked about a number of times on here, is the uh, partisan trend of the sample. So the last poll that was released, the sample trended a little more Democratic. On this poll, the sample trended a little more Republican. And Charles Franklin, the director, talked about that a little bit. And he said, you know, that plays maybe into some of the results, but also maybe not a whole lot. So with that blanket statement, the governor's race has tightened. Last month, Tony Evers was up by, I believe, five points over Scott Walker. This month, we have... Scott Walker up by one point over Tony Evers. That is obviously within the margin of error. It's telling us what we kind of knew all along, that this is going to be a really close race. And as you mentioned, there's one more poll coming out at the very end of the month. Um, And it'll be interesting to see what changes with that. But you know, this is going to be neck and neck in the weeks to come. And we've all known that. And I think a lot of polls early on showed Tony Evers with a bigger lead than people were necessarily expecting. And, you know, this is this is tightening it up as we all thought it would. 
this poll presumably was conducted uh, last week, yes, right? Yes, so this was... So this is post-Kavanaugh, that being a huge national story that engaged a lot of people. Uh, presumably it, this it had did, some... Yeah. Um, I don't know if that in any way may have swayed numbers here. So that was definitely a question, and I think it's still up in the air. This poll was conducted October 3rd through 7th, so they did ask about the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. Uh, We found out that, yeah, a lot of people were paying attention. Um, I think it was some 30% were watching the hearings live, another 20-some percent were... 30% watched them live? Yeah. That's a lot. Wow. Yeah, and then another 20-some percent followed it very closely. So it was a very small percentage of people who were really not following this at all. They did a, a lot of polling on you know, individual favorability ratings and broke that down by gender and demographic. Uh, that was interesting to look at. It would take a lot of time to get into here, but I would, I would recommend checking that out. But yeah, um, I think it's not clear whether that had any effect on the the horse races here. Uh, the Senate race was basically unchanged from last month. Last month, Tammy Baldwin was up by 11 points over Leah Vukmir. This month, she's up by 10 points. This poll was done before the two of them met in their first debate. They've got two more debates scheduled, so they didn't have a chance to be influenced by that. And I, I wonder, is that lead slightly more statistically significant? I don't know if that's outside of the margin of error. That is outside. Yeah, the, outside the margin of, of error is about uh, three or four points. And so gotcha. That's, 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 what, that's definitely still a outside. solid yeah. lead for Tammy Baldwin at this point. Um, we'll see if the debates to come change that at all. Uh, also, in the governor's race, the libertarian candidate, Phil Anderson, is getting 5% of the vote. That's down a point from the previous month, but it's a small but vocal contingent of supporters. And in the attorney general's race, Brad Schimmel is up by four points over Josh Call. That's a slightly tightened lead Mm. from last month. Again, that's a race a lot of people don't pay attention. They don't know what the attorney general necessarily does. They don't know what this race is about. There's still a full 81%, I believe, of people who haven't heard of Josh Call or don't know who he is. So at this point, Brad Schimmel's got the incumbent advantage on that. But that's another one that we're expecting will be tight like most of the others. All right, let's change gears and talk about the Senate debate super quickly that happened on Monday night. Yeah. Yeah, gosh. Uh, <laughs> well, why don't you tell me a little bit just uh, quickly for context where exactly it was, what sort of, I guess, the, the context for the debate before maybe briefly talking about what the kind of the big stories out of the debate were. Yeah, so Tammy Baldwin and Leah Vukmir met in Milwaukee Monday night and – This was their first debate. They've got another debate scheduled on October 13th in Wausau. And then they've got a a final debate on the 19th. And that is also the night of the first governor's uh, debate. So a lot of competing attention that night. This is a relatively heated debate. They argued about the things that have been driving the narratives in the campaign so far. So healthcare, um, veterans issues, the Toma VA, the Affordable Care Act. Of course, Tammy Baldwin is a huge supporter of the Affordable Care Act. Leah Vukmir has opposed it her entire career. Were there any surprises, do you think, that came out of the debate? I don't think there are any surprises here. Um, they they clashed on talking about the Kavanaugh hearings. Tammy Baldwin said she hopes that the outcome of that confirmation process won't prevent uh, victims from coming forward in the future. Leah Vukmir said because Tammy Baldwin opposed Kavanaugh before these allegations were out in the first place because she didn't meet with him, uh, she said she believed that Baldwin has cheapened the Me Too movement uh, through her opposition to Kavanaugh. Besides that, it sounds like they, they touched on issues where we were already well aware of where they stood. 
Yeah, you know, they, they talked about pay equity laws, they talked about abortion, they talked about gun rights and, and gun control. I mean, all of these issues, we pretty much knew where they stood. We pretty much knew they would be diametrically opposed on all of them. So no big surprises. Um, I think this is probably the best chance for both of them to have to be seen uh, in, in a debate because the next one's going to be on a Saturday night up against the Brewers playing the Dodgers and... I can tell you what I'll be watching during that time. Um, the Senate debate, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 And, you know, then the next one's up against the, the governor's race debate. So this is probably the, the most visible they will be in terms of uh, going up against each other. But we'll continue to see ads coming in on this. Uh, what will be interesting to see, I guess, is whether the latest poll results will have any influence on what national groups do, whether they think that this is uh, a foregone conclusion or whether they think, see some ground that they can come in and make up. All right. Great. Well, let's get to the Walker interview. Thanks for having me Good. as always, Good. Thanks Jessie. for coming in, Eric. So for, for starters, just tell me why you're running for re-election. Well, it's kind of to finish the arc in the sense that eight years ago when we started, not just as a candidate, but as a parent, my kids, uh, Tonette and I were both worried about them not having a job or want a career after they graduated. And so the focus for, I think, a lot of us parents at that time, uh, a lot of people just in general, were jobs. It was jobs, 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 unemployment was so high. That first term we focused on that. Second term now we focus a lot on workforce, building the workforce. That's why education tied into it, but worker training, all these different things. And now the third term really is to finish the job, uh, and that is to kind of see things through, build the workforce we need. We constantly hear people say, I've got job openings, I just don't have enough people. So it's keeping our graduates here, making sure every one of our students graduates and graduates a game plan, and then recruiting people, as we've been talking about, whether it's veterans from around the world, uh, whether it's alumni or millennials. That's really our focus is for the next four years, the, the third term, finishing the job off right, handing it on to the next generation. So you say finishing the job, is that is this your last term if you're reelected? Yeah, uh, my focus would be, I think that is the natural kind of progression going from jobs to workforce to retention and growth. And once we're done with that, it's time to pass it on. So you've been interested and in, in involved in public politics and public service for a lot of your life. What sparked that at a younger age for you? Oh, I went. I always thought I'd go into business, and when I was in high school, I had the chance to go. The American Legion does a program called Badger Boys State. Mm-hmm. I went to Boys State, and then I had the honor of going to Boys Nation. And uh, um, I always liked history, so it wasn't like it was completely disconnected from wanting to go into business. But when I went to that, both at Ripon College at Boys State, and then particularly when I went to Washington, it was just the, the, all the people involved, a lot of the veterans that were involved, really touched me. My senior counselor, the Boys Nation. Bob Turner was a uh, Vietnam veteran, ended up being the first Vietnam veteran to be the National Commander of the American Legion. And just seeing how important it was for them for public service, patriotism, it kind of changed my mind and said, you know, maybe there's something here. Yeah. What would you say, you you spoke to this a little bit, but if you look at your first two terms, how would you say those terms are defined if you kind of just summed it up? Well, certainly the focus for us in terms of I think in terms of results were the jobs, changing the job creation market. We, we didn't create the jobs, but the, helping the employers of the state create jobs. And so to go from such a turnaround, 9.3% unemployment back in January, the year before I took office, to now 
and we had seven consecutive months of 3% or below. I think it's just a matter of, you know, that was really a focus on jobs. Obviously, a lot of the public attention was more on our reforms, which the two go hand in hand. I mean, the reforms help build the business climate. When people ask about, you know, say a company like Foxconn, when did it start? I said it started in January of 2011 when we really started making fundamental changes. Uh, if we hadn't done the things we'd done, whether it's an employer like Foxconn or others probably wouldn't be there. So the two go hand in hand. But certainly I think first term was about jobs. Um, second term's really been about all hands on deck and trying to build the workforce, uh, the education, the training, the other things along the way. Um, if you're reelected, how would you want people to look back on your three terms in, in total? How would you want to be defined as a governor? Transformational. I mean, I think both in terms of, not just in terms of employment, but more job opportunities, higher wages, better opportunities for folks, but also transformational in terms of government. I mean, I think the reforms we put in place didn't just save money. Uh, for schools, local governments like the one I used to work in and now state government, you know, the fact that we can hire based on merit now and pay based on performance, uh, I think it really is transformational. And uh, I'd like to not only have those reforms stay, I'd like to build off of those. And obviously that's one of the points I mention often about the distinction between me and Tony Evers. It's not personal, he and I have worked together and stuff, and we get along just fine. But he clearly wants to undo those reforms. Um, I think those reforms are, are essential to the state going forward, positive. The, um, from, from Act 10 to running for president, you've had a lot of time in the national spotlight. Wisconsin's been in the national spotlight. Yeah. How has that shaped the way that you approach this job? What have you learned from those experiences? Hmm. Well, I mean, what I tried to do in the past, probably do to a certain degree now, is take advantage of that in the sense that it, it creates a lot of notoriety for Wisconsin. Um, not just media-wise, but people pay attention more because they've seen us in the news, they've seen, for good or bad or indifferent, they, they hear about it. One of our challenges, I think, in the past across the country, and even globally, was not that people had a negative impression, they just didn't have it. Sure. Uh, and so, you know, having that connection that people know who I am, they're familiar with it, um, using that as leverage to try and push other positive things that uh, maybe, again, not that people had a negative view, but just didn't have a view, uh, I think is helpful. The other thing I learned, you know, with the, particularly with the brief stint I had uh, at the national stage, uh, was just a reminder of how much I, I enjoy uh, serving as governor, that I wasn't willing to give it up, and that some of my, some might say some of my other colleagues uh, largely abandoned their role uh, as governor. I, I couldn't do that. It's probably part the reason why I wasn't successful on the national <laughs> level, because you really can't do both. Uh, but that was just a, a reminder to me about how much I enjoyed being governor and why I think a lot of people were surprised nationally, but even here in the state, at least in, particularly in the media and even in politics, that instead of backing away from it, I kind of dove back in again and completely uh, kind of immersed ourselves in uh, not just being governor, but the mechanics of it, uh, all the listening sessions and then all the other travels and all the visits to schools and all other places. It's actually a little ironic that some of my critics before who didn't think I was here enough now <laughs> criticized me for flying around the state too much. But sure. I think it was essential to just, and it led, led to things. You know, we look in our last budgets, the broadband expansion stuff, the mental health grants in the schools, even the more aid for local governments all came out of not just the specific 72 lessons, listening sessions, but all the other visits we had around the state. Um. The national stage continues to play a role in state politics, whether you know, sometimes it's good, sometimes mm -hmm. it's less positive. Yeah. What role do you think that plays in 
your re-election? I mean, do you worry that that sets you in an uphill battle just given the democratic enthusiasm throughout the country? Well, there's no doubt. And it's not, I mean, I think some people tried to single it out just at one person. But the truth is, um, Democrats had problems after Obama's uh, first election. Right. Uh, Republicans had after Bush's. Right. I mean, it's just, it's, a, it's historically a, a given that the opposing party in the White House is going to have advantages in a midterm election, particularly after the first time a president's elected. Um, so that's something we've warned about. Obviously, I, some have been ignored that. I've been almost a year now uh, being a little bit of a Paul Revere saying, <laughs> hey, if we don't wake up here, uh, complacency was always my biggest fear. Sure. Uh, not even just because of the national movement, but I think when people say, hey, you've won three times before, uh, they point out that you know, I hear it even this last week, even after the Marquette fall, particularly oh, for small business owners, she'll say, oh, you know, the state's better than ever, things are going the right direction, there's no way you can lose. And I tell them, no, come come with me to places, you know, outside of your small business, and I can show you, you know, to some parts of Madison, I'll be lucky if I get 20% of the vote. Sure. Um, so, but they don't see that elsewhere. And so yeah. I, I felt for almost a year that complacency was an issue. The good news is, I think, and, I, and we're seeing this slowly but surely, is because people have voted so often here, we've had so many high, not just election, but high-profile election, that I think voters are pretty smart. And I say that not in the sense that they automatically vote for me, so it's not smart like, hey, you should vote for me, but smart like they look at the facts, they really see what's happening. Uh, and I think when push comes to shove, you know, they're going to say the election isn't about how you feel about Washington, the election is about who's going to be governor for the next four years. You mentioned a lot of things you're proud of, uh, not necessarily regrets, but is there anything looking back that you would have done differently or that you've kind of learned from from your time in government? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the biggest things early on was this idea that uh, that first month or two, I was so eager to fix things, because remember, we forget now, but it was so messed up, not just the economy, but the budget. I mean, we had all these problems we inherited that I was so eager to fix things, we just set out to fix it. We didn't talk about it. Um, because most politicians talk about it, particularly in Washington, never fix it. We were kind of the reverse. What I learned and I tried to do since then is you got to do both. Talk can't take the place of fixing things, but you can't just do it. You have to, even though a lot of the things, most of the things were things I talked about pretty specifically in our first campaign, you still have to constantly remind people about not just what you're doing, but more importantly, why you're doing it. What are the biggest challenges the state faces in the next four to 10 years? Well, I just think it's totally a workforce, and not just because unemployment's so low now, but you have next three to five years in particular, the baby boom generation is going to be at uh, or completely into retirement. You're going to have all these openings there. You got what we constantly hear from employers telling us that they have not only openings, but they have business available. They, they, they have clients that want to do more business or potential new customers in so many different areas. And so I think workforce really is critical for us. Uh, both keeping what we have, keeping our graduates here is a big part of that, but then also attracting new talent. Um, if this is your, your last term here, people, your name still comes up at the national level. Do you see a reconsideration of, of the presidential thing again or something along those lines? No, I, I don't see running for president. Uh, I mean, to me, I, I, I see certainly not as a governor. I would, I, one of the things I learned from that last experience is you just got to, you can't do both. You, you're not, you're not going to be able to do the one run successfully and it's just going to, uh, it's going to take away from your ability to do the other. I'm focused on being governor four years from now, if I have the honor and the distinction from the voters of doing that, 
then who knows what the future holds? I really haven't thought about what that might be. That's far off. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, you, yeah, you and Tony Evers have worked together. Yeah. You've had to cooperate on things. What's something that you admire or respect about him? Um, well, I certainly think, personally, just his own battle with cancer. I mean, I think the, you know, he's obviously talked about it, but as he went through it, to me, with the stuff we worked with, we worked with him on the report card early on and other things along the way. And, um, you know, he's always, he's had that battle and, and still has never, that's never been a, it's never a distraction uh, from anything he's done. So I always thought that's pretty admirable that he was, he was open about talking about it, but it, he, he's always stayed, you know, on top of the stuff he was doing. Wedge Issues is sponsored by WISPolitics.com. You can become a WISPolitics.com member. Find out more at WISPolitics.com slash membership. You ready for the fun part? Yeah, sure. All right. What's your favorite Wisconsin beer? Uh, without a doubt, Summer Shanty. I'm a total Lion Cougar guy. Yeah. You get some flack for that, and, and Patrick will make fun of you for it. He makes fun of me for it. I like Summer Shanty, too. Well, he says best. it's not a beer. Oh, totally I love beer, and I love lemonade. What's better than putting them together? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Another thing, a good one to do, you can do um, New Glarus Totally Naked with, like, actual lemonade. You can mix the two, and it's, like, a another kind of Actually, Potosi's got a pretty good Shanty. They do. That's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Summer Shanty all year long? Yeah. Okay. Totally. Okay. In fact, it's, I'm kind of bummed. Uh, Dick was telling me years ago that they now I think they sell more summer shanty um, as one one of the brands, and they sell everything else combined. Something why stop it? Oh yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. Uh, what's the best advice your parents or a loved one gave you when you were growing up? <laughs> uh, well, not just advice, but more important than what they said, how they lived. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother, in particular, just respected everyone. I mean, she's totally. I always remember that, even the height of the, of the protest and everything else. Uh, my mom would have been the one to bring cookies out to him. She yeah. brings cookies <laughs> to everybody. Uh, there's nobody that, um, you know, that she, that people, she respects everyone. And everyone I know, no matter where they've met her at places, just loves her because of her. Yeah. Did you really rebuild the booth where you proposed to your yeah, wife? Is yeah. that in your garage now? It's or in what? the garage. It's, we had to take it down to fit some other stuff in there, but... Uh, yeah, isn't it bizarre? So, Tonette cool. and I's first date was May 1st, 1992, at the Chantry in the village of Wauwatosa. And over the years, we'd go back every so often on that date. And then when Joe DeRosa, who owns the Chantry, who owns Blue Sombrero, okay. last December was telling me he was converting the Chantry into a Blue Sombrero. And he said, I, but I saved your booth. <laughs> Cause I, you know, I would yeah. go there and make it, and it's the only one that was in there that was just a two-person booth. Okay. And um, so right after Christmas, because it was our 25th in February, I said, uh, I called him up and said, this is a really weird question, but could I get that booth from you? <laughs> Quicker, he hiccuped it. He didn't really know what he was going to do with it. So he dropped it off, um, and then we worked to put it up in the garage, brought it out that, I think it was that morning, and... At first, he's joking, like, is it a car? Like, no, she knew me well enough to know yeah. I was going to buy a car. Um, and so, yeah, it was up. It's the, and it was, it's about 400 pounds. So it's not just a booth. It's like the, even the, I should know this because she watches HGTV a lot, but it's the, the wood stuff that's on the back. Oh, sure. Yeah. I don't, yeah. yeah. Shack, something, or whatever they call it. But yeah. the wood was up there. So we actually put it up the sides, the top, even there's stained glass in the back. And uh, so, yeah, it was fun. That's pretty cool. Now, 
she was she was very moved by it but then i waited till that night to give her a ring and so alternate the day she was showing her friends pictures and they're like that's nice but a girl's best friend are still diamonds <laughs> so i didn't blow it i actually did get her a ring as well <laughs> that's nice too yeah <laughs> what's the best concert you've ever been to uh actually you know it sounds goofy to say this but we went to the last concert at the uh, BMO Harris Bradley Center okay and it was Bon Jovi and that's my generation that's when yeah. I grew up in yeah and so I, I got it either that or I don't know if it's one but I've always loved Huey Lewis back when I was a kid at Summerfest and then we actually went to the one of the last ones he did before his hearing stopped him from touring so it's a tough call between Bon Jovi just rocked that last one yeah uh, even though he's a little older than I am and uh, between that and Huey Lewis it's a little biased because that's my generation. It's pretty so, solid, though. Yeah. Um, I got to know everything about the ham sandwich. Like, what kind of bread, what kind of condiment, what kind of ham? Is there <laughs> cheese? Do you really eat it every day? Pretty much. I mean, unless I'm somewhere where there's an event. And usually, even if I'm speaking at lunch, unless it's just a sit-down small group of people. And there's one actually in the truck right now in the cooler. We have okay. a little cooler. We put it in. Um, it's just goofy. It started back when I was working at the Red Cross because I was cheap. Uh, plus, I just know what I like. And then even when I was in the legislature, instead of having a page go get it, I mean, I didn't, I'm like, I don't want to eat fast food every day. It was what I liked. I say I'm predictable. Tonette says I'm boring. I say I'm frugal. She says I'm cheap. But uh, <laughs> it's the same two things. It's two ham and cheese, um, shredded ham or sliced ham, and uh, just American cheese. Mayonnaise. I like mayonnaise. Yeah. And then I usually have a, a bottle of, like, uh, Ocean Spray cranberry juice. And, same thing every day. It's pretty Wisconsin. Now, my one of my sons, Matthew, has been on me uh, about telling me how much red meat I eat. So mm. I have late have occasionally swapped in some shredded turkey and yeah. cheese. Um, it's the heart healthy option, I, I guess. guess. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't, don't know how much good it's going to have to do after 25, almost 30 <laughs> it's years a lot of doing ham this. sandwiches. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, what's the best Star Wars movie, in your opinion? Well, the original. Uh, well, I've liked the other ones, but which is episode four, showing how geeky I am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but this is the original one, because I watched it in 1977. I was nine, nine years old when it came out. So, yeah, 977. And that spring of that year. And I watched it at the theater in Lake Geneva, and I was just totally amazed. I must have watched it like a dozen times after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's total Star Wars geek. But to me, that was, even though now you kind of look back and you can almost see the wires and stuff yeah, like that, yeah. but it was just, as a kid, it just blew my mind. Yeah. It was just so exciting. And, and I love, my kids watched, they got into Star Wars when episodes one, two, and three came out. Yep. Um, I look back at those, those are my least favorite because they overuse technology. Yeah. The last couple have been nice because they go back to the storyline that I loved in the original. Yeah, the episode one was the first one I saw. It was yeah. just like going back, it's just not good, but you know, it's whatever cla- gets you in. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, do you have political role models I assume you've got? Oh, Reagan's an to. easy one. Yeah. I mean, just because, for me, actually, as a kid, I came of age when Reagan was president. And it wasn't just because he's a Republican or a conservative. Mm-hmm. That was part of it. But I, I just loved his eternal optimism. I yeah. mean, he was just so upbeat on everything. He just made me feel good, made me feel aspirational. Certainly throughout the years, I was elected. Actually, I mean, I was, um, he was elected. Tommy Thompson was elected my freshman year in college. So I've always looked up to Tommy, looked at as a role model, um, not just in a figurative sense, but quite literally as a role model and, and talked to him quite often on things as well. So to me, those were the two that probably were the most striking. Sure. So as governor, you get to do a lot of Wisconsin-y things, yeah. but if you had a bucket list of something stereotypically Wisconsin that you haven't done but would like to do, do you have anything left on there that you haven't gotten to do? 
boy, I've done just about everything. Yeah. One of the cool things, I don't know if it's stereotypically Wisconsin-y, but um, one of the things I'd like to do next summer, I just haven't had the time to, is go whitewater rafting here. And then yeah. you go up in a uh, certain number of different areas in the northern part of the state, there's some pretty good whitewater rafting sites. And I've retweeted that from when Stephanie Klett sends me all sorts of cool oh, yeah. stuff from tourism. And I just keep thinking, boy, you know, everybody talks about it elsewhere in the country. I'd love to do it here. So I haven't had a good, I mean, I've, when I was a scout, I did canoeing and I've done plenty of kayaking, but the whitewater rafting in Wisconsin to me would be pretty cool. Most of the other stuff, I mean, Lambo, Camp Randall, the Brewers, the Bucks, Summerfest, Random Motors, I've done all that yeah. stuff, so. Yeah. Is there a place in Wisconsin that you feel most at home? Hmm. On a motorcycle. Yeah. Go anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> that's I mean, that sounds silly without a spot, yeah. but I just, to me, that's one of the most enjoyable things I do. Some people golf to get away, do other things on a motorcycle, and that was true even before I was governor. But it's particularly true now because I can just go away. Nobody knows who I am. I have a yeah. full face helmet on, but I just, it's all out there. You know, wherever you're at, you just feel like you're a part of it. Yeah. In a car, it's cool traveling, but a motorcycle is different because you literally look up and you're like, you're there. Yeah. You can see the trees arching. You can see the blue hills in the Northwest. You can see the lakes. It's just pretty cool. That's cool. I've never done that. Someday, maybe. Um, Take the lessons if you do it. Yeah, I'm definitely going to do Rider's that. Riders Edge. Yeah, yeah. It'll make you a better driver driver, not just a motorcycle. Okay, favorite Wisconsin cheese? You know, I, it's hard to tell. I'm, 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 I love cheese. Tonette says I eat too much of it, but, uh, I mean, Colby's the obvious one because it's a state cheese, but, you know, our folks do great cheddar. I like cheddar in particular. There's a lot of good cheddar around the state of Wisconsin, so I'd probably have to stick with cheddar. That's fair. Any closing thoughts you want to leave people with? No, it's good. Great. Thank you so much for yes. making some time. Just like the girls I like to meet, and since my heart still likes to be, I'm coming home. Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. We'll be back every Friday with new episodes, so make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss one. If you like what you hear, you should tell your friends to listen too, and you can leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you have feedback or suggestions for me, you can find me on Twitter at Jesse Opie, J-E-S-S-I-E-O-P-I-E, or you can email me at J-O-P-O-I-E-N at Madison.com. Thanks as always for listening. We'll see you next week. Wedge Issues has been brought to you by wispolitics.com. There are plenty of benefits to becoming a member. You can go to wispolitics.com slash membership to find out more.